This is episode 63 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm your host, Eli. Welcome back to our second installment of our latest miniseries, A Day in a Caucasus Life, in which we are taking you guys through some of the normal, humdrum, mundane stops in a daily life and unpacking them in dazzling brilliance of all the wonder and beauty and diversity they hold. (laughs) Eli, as an ethnographer, it it occurs to me that this is right up your alley, actually. This is the sweet spot, baby. Because (laughs) ethnographers are all about uh, people in their normal place and what things mean and how they change. And so this is like what we do and how we think. And in fact, you too can be an ethnographer. And I'll tell you how. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you how right now. And it really makes life way more interesting. It makes it way more. It can be, it can take, uh, you can take any boring situation. You can sit waiting at the DMV and turn it into an ethnographic study and it becomes fascinating. (sighs) And, And here's what you do. Okay. You ready? You start counting things. This is just the first step. Huh. So if you're in a boring situation, if you're sitting on a bus, if you're in line at the, you know, where, where are people in lines in the U S water bill place? Oh, no, no. In the U S grocery store. Okay. Grocery store. And you're start counting how many at the DMV, how many seats are there? How many people are there? How many checkers are there? How often are things happening? How many, what kinds of people are going to what kinds of places and what you will do besides entertaining yourself is you will begin to get at the source matter of patterns that are hidden in societies that people don't even know are there. Wow. Okay. But that's really not on our script for the episode. (laughs) Eli's ethnography school. Very nice. I literally have thought like many times, like would it be interesting to do like a talking head vlog on like, Doing ethnography. It probably could be. I don't know if I have the time for it, but I, I, I think about that. Listen, if caucus talk could take take off like it has, I think there's a <laughs> there's an audience for that. If we could get hundreds of <laughs> listeners a month, so good an ethnographer. <laughs> listeners, if so, you think it would be uh, interesting for me to to share what it means to become an ethnographer, because I'm still becoming, I'm like, I'm in the like, you know, metamorphosis. I'm growing into it, I would say. I haven't like published anything, you know, a book. So can I say I am one? I don't know. If you think it'd be interesting to track my anyway, let me know. This could be your next podcast. We've discussed in length what your next podcast launch would be. Becoming an ethnographer. Now, if that is like the least catchy title I've ever heard in my life, <laughs> I'll have to work on that. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, in line, uh, in line with our theme of um, our mini series of a day in the Caucasus life, we're going to recap both of us recent days we've had uh, in respective cities in the Caucasus, just so you can get a feel for uh, really the diverse place this is and the different kinds of people you interact with on any given the day in the Caucasus. So, Eli, why don't you start us off? Tell us about a day you recently had in Mahachkala. 
And and you're asking about like the kinds of people that I meet as they identify. Yeah, like, just normal life as you went throughout your day, uh, different nationalities, etc. Yeah. Specifically talking about kind of yeah the sure eth- ethnic makeup. Of so the I can think of a recent day when um, we needed milk, and I went out my front door and I greeted the lady in the front porch, and she is Lesguin. She is a okay. lesginka. You've heard of the dance, lesginka, but that is just a feminine lesgin entity. And she, and so she's like, I am a lesginka. And she's there 29 hours a day in the front porch. And then I went to go to a little store uh-huh. to get milk. And I, they only had the, the UHT boxed milk. And she said, oh, right out there is a lady selling right. milk. This is also in the playground area go out and there's a lady with all okay. these jars of homemade homemade milk of of milk from uh <laughs> their house that they milked the cow that day or the day before uh and that lady was Dargeen. okay um i went into a store there was a tabasaran guy and huh. an avar guy and he put me in touch wow. with his Dargeen friend who is a wedding coordinator who invited me to a Dargeen wedding and that turned into a village wow. visit recording a Dargeen Avar uh, musical group. Wow. Then I like at the end of the day, stopped by a gas station and went up to pay at the window. And the dude there is from a, a, a language group that numbers 6,000 people. Wow. So tiny. Yeah. Called Bogalal. And, and we just, it was just chatting through the gas station window. And, <laughs> and he it's told me his common. village. How are yeah. you doing? Uh, how's your day going? And then, What's your Andrew, nationality? Well, you love this. <laughs> right as I walked up to pay, you know, I'm just like going to pay at the gas station. I have no like ulterior motive. His friend <laughs> had just bought him a donut from the donut truck that's parked in the park light, light and hands him the donut through the window. We chat. And then on my way out, he's like, here, and hands me his donut. I was like, dude, I don't need you. He's like, no, please, please. It's a gift. Please take my donut. Was so, it a Dargeen donut? Yeah, it was, uh, no, Bogolol Donut. Well, he's, later he told me, he's like, those donuts are terrible. I'll take you to a place with good donuts. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got their inside scoop, Oh, man. man. Inside. That all is right. amazing. All, all because you went to get a bottle of milk. I'll be honest. That was probably a compilation of a weekend. Still, though, that's amazing. Yeah. Dagestan really is its own world. I mean, we've talked about this before. Yeah, but- man. 35 to 40 plus different language groups there just in Dagestan. Oh, I spoke with an ethnographer who said those are the official numbers, but from his research, if you take into account uh, significantly distinct dialects, so this is not, uh-huh. this is mutually comprehensible, but but different words and sounds, there are right. documented over a hundred. That is crazy. I'd never heard that before. Wow. Yeah. Man. And he Maybe was saying, he like, he was like, with you. like, these guys do this. That's one sound. And we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's about how it sounded to me. I was like, oh. <laughs> so That's you so go, cool. okay. That's the difference. Anyway. Good stuff. But so Andrew, that was you, a day you, in uh, Mahachkala. You, you tend to attract interesting people to yourself, Eli. Oh, so I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not thing. sure I can uh, compete with that. But I. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll share mine and we'll yeah. let our listeners decide who had more interesting Everywhere days. Everywhere in the caucuses is like this. Yeah, it really you, is true. you tell us about your yeah. day. Yeah, so I recently uh 
uh, went to Nalchik for the day, the capital of Kabardino-Balkaria, uh, had some work meetings uh, with some tour partners. And um, yeah, lots of fascinating interactions. So I went on the public marshutka, kind of the minibus in the morning. The passenger beside me was an 88-year-old uh, Russian gentleman, such a nice guy. Boris Mikhailovich was his name. Perfect. And uh, Perfect we name. talked the whole way. Um, man, he was a great guy. So I spent the Mashuka ride with a Russian. And then uh, as soon as I got to Nalchik, I hopped in a taxi to visit um, a new hotel that was recently built in the city to kind of check out their facilities. Nice. And uh, my taxi driver was a Setian. So uh got to know my Setian taxi driver. Did you ask him and who then, delivers his mail if it's a happens to be an 83-year-old woman? Oh, we did not. I did not know about her then, but I would have. <sighs> Mark my words. Um and then uh I had a meeting later that day. Uh she's one of the premier um traditional dressmakers in the entire North Caucasus. Whoa. Um and she is uh Circassian or Kabardian. Mhm. Um, so, uh, met with her about possibly working with some of our tour groups, doing custom made, uh, dresses, et cetera. Oh, that is such a good idea. Yeah. Oh. It was, it was actually a request by one of our groups. So yeah, really anyways, lots of potential there. And then, uh, after, uh, I met with her, I took a taxi, uh, I had another meeting arranged. And so my taxi driver and that taxi was Balkar. Mm-hmm. from uh, Upper Bulgaria. Um, so real interesting chat with him. And then um, I had a meeting at, with the owner of a restaurant through some mutual friends um, who is Circassian uh, or Kabardian, but he grew up in Syria, actually. Wow. So uh, he lived the first 20 years of his life in Syria and moved back recently, owns his own restaurant now. And then uh, I ended the day, uh, I met with... Um, a Chechen English teacher who has an English club in the city. And uh, again, some mutual friends connected us. But by the time I got home, I was just amazed, like, wow, so many different nationalities from different uh, republics in the Caucasus, literally other countries of the world. And that was just one day in Nalchik. And what's so interesting is we live six hours apart. There's no overlap. Like, I'm not meeting... Any Kabardians, Ossetians, Balkars, Circassian. That's right. Wow. Okay. Or even Chechens. I've, I've, in my whole time living down here, I've met Chechens one time. Wow. So, in your, you've been living in Dagestan a couple months, and outside of Dagestanis, you haven't met any other Caucasus nationalities. There Almost at all. Yeah. And here, yeah. they're wow. all different. And I remember we were interviewing, I forget who it was, they were students, and they were saying that at the, it wasn't until they got to Pitigore State University that they met other nationalities yep. from the caucuses about whom they'd heard things. It was sort of like awkward, and they were like, wow, that's right. we can actually be friends. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that just shows you how many, like, this is a wor- there are worlds within worlds here in the caucuses. Yeah, very cool. Well, that's a good, like, warm-up to our, our second installment of Day in the Life. That's its own little pre-Day in the Life. Um, but where, what are we diving into today, Andrew? Some, a really scintillizing topic <laughs> that's right public transport <laughs> um i remember the again, first I time mean... <laughs> i took a bus without my uh like just with my friends in dc i think it was sixth grade and like i didn't normally take public transportation and my friends took it every day and my mom 
was sort of, I could tell she was a little nervous that we would be like misbehaved. So she gave us this little talk about like how to behave on the bus. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay. And we got on the bus and my friends were just like, thought it was the lamest talk. They called it the public transportation pep talk, the PTPT <laughs> from Eli's mom. I'm like, hey. <laughs> so That's I, awesome. Respect, Barrett. Respect. That's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I mean, this this topic is a lot like playgrounds in that it's very mundane in some ways, but I mean, this is something you do almost every single day in the North Caucasus as you ride on public transport. If you don't have your own car, uh, which we don't, um, we haven't, we're not, haven't sold out yet. Like the, like the, uh, Eli and his family. <laughs> I was, I, I was actually zoning out thinking about something. Did you just diss me on my car ownership? Did you just say sell out? Is that what you said? Uh, my, my wife would be like, I wish we would sell out. Like, Eli's could we please sell out? Honey, I'm dying to sell out. Yeah. <laughs> um, All right. sorry. I was just thinking, I, I want to frame this real quick from, okay. from, from the, just to, why are we talking about public transportation? Because people are like, this is so dumb. This is so boring. You take a bus, you take a bus. And it's true. A foreigner could come here and take a bus and get off and be fine. But here's yeah. the deal. Here's how culture works. Culture, one way of thinking about culture is it is a set of unspoken and mutually agreed upon rules. So yep. everyone gets together, no one talks really about good. it, and everyone knows what to do. And when you feel out of place, it's because you don't know the rules, and you're breaking rules, you and it's unspoken awkward. unspoken rules, yeah. And so what rules. we're doing yeah. is, like, there are all these unspoken rules about public transportation that are so interesting and different. So I hope that whets the whistle. Well, and I had, in some of my notes, uh, specifically wrote in unspoken rules. So you don't think about that as an element of culture, but, I mean, how you just defined it, it is. I do. You know? Yeah. Um, so, so uh, there are three primary modes of public transportation in the Caucasus. We'll kind of uh, build the basket here. Number one is trams or trolleys. So uh, Pitygorsk has uh, a trolley system all throughout the city. Um, Vladikavkaz has a trolley system. Um, I'm going to add trolley buses those... to the to that list. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure in, if there are any other cities in the North Caucasus that have the tra- the tramvies or the trolleys. But so that's one form. We use those all the time here in particular. And the reason I'm going to add, um, I'll tell you why I'm going to add a trolley bus is because they are all dependent on overhead power. Yes. And that yeah, is sort good. of a feature we'll come back to. Cool. Um, so the second is marshutkas or minibuses. Uh, those are in every city in Russia all across Russia. So 12 to 20 passenger vans. And the third? And then the third is commuter trains. So there are um, daily commuter trains that run between different cities in the Caucasus, especially here in the the Mineral Waters region between Mm Kislovodsk and Mineral Waters, Yesentuki, Pitygorsk. But also uh, Vladikavkaz has um, commuter trains running to it and from it every single day. Uh, from mineral waters. And then there are actual like sleeper trains as well you can take. So that sleeper trains are their own separate topic. We might do an entire episode on on those one day. What's in a sleeper train? We have a train that goes right behind our office building here. I don't know if it's a commuter because there are some that go up and down between the cities uh, on the coast here. Uh-huh. But um, I know when it goes by, not because I hear it, but because our entire building shakes. Oh, wow. Wow. 
I literally, our first week here, I texted my wife. I was like, we're having an earthquake. She's like, really? I don't feel anything. And then I found out that every day at 4 p.m. we have an earthquake. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Okay. So a couple features about riding public transport here. Uh, This is something often foreigners notice. But uh, when you get on to especially a tram or a trolley, if you are older or a parent with children, people will immediately stand up and make their seat available to you. Yes. Um, so this is a, I mean, this really is a huge piece of the public transport puzzle that shows the Caucasus culture because that is done. It's just people do it automatically out of respect for older people and for children or women with children. It's one of the unspoken rules that if you break becomes spoken. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, you don't have to be an older person either. Often, you know, if a 21 year old student will be sitting there, if they see like a, uh, 40 year old lady come in, they will make their seat available for her. Um, so, uh, often, uh, men do it like even younger guys to kind of show respect towards women or to towards older people. Yep. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, my dad really noticed that when he, last time he was here about a year ago and he like could not believe that people stood up and make their, made their seat available for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, that's really cool. And not just that, like anything in the, basically towards the elderly or towards people with kids, people go really out of their way to make sure those people are as comfortable as possible. So we have three kids, you have four. We were constantly getting on and off trams, uh, and Marshutkas in Pitigorsk. Yep. Often people will get off the tram to help you carry the stroller into the tram or they'll help you carry it out. Um, in the Marshutkas, uh, you know, those can get really tight, really fast with people. And if you get on with your kids, Often, uh, an older lady will just grab one of your kids and put her on their her lap because they like, have to, to make be, sure they yeah, have a space. They really want them seated, and because they, you know, they're concerned about the safety thing. It's not to the extent that they like buckle. There's not, but, but you know, seated is better. And so, yeah, it's like we're not offering; we're we're just telling. Like you, yeah. So that's just something. I mean, I can just say I've just experienced this so much, so many times I'm really grateful for, you know, um, people really do their best. Our kids pretty much, our kids have actually gotten a little entitled about it. Like they're expecting (laughs) people to stand up and make a seat available for them. Um, so we need to get that solved on the other side of the equation. That's what kids need is entitlement. (laughs) Yeah. And so even with, um, the ladies, kind of the ticket collectors on the, the trams, kids are free until they turn seven i.e. school age. And uh, often uh, they'll even, they'll be like, "Who? why are you paying for her? And I'll say, well, she's seven. And often they'll be like, ah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, so like they'll really like go out of their way. Like they don't want parents paying extra money if they don't have to. Some Sometimes uh, they'll just do like give you half rate for your kid or something. Um, this lady on the tram on the eight going down the hill would always like not only do that, Andrew, but she would like smirk and like surreptitiously slide the money back toward me. Like, here, take the money back. And I, I was, think I know which I one so, that is. I, I was so <laughs> confused. I'm like, I'm trying to pay. And I was like, no. Nah, yeah. 
just yeah, say there's yes. One, there's say one you. ticket collector, I think it's that one on the trams <laughs> in Pitigorsk, who always asks me how my kids are doing because, like, yeah. we almost cause a ruckus every time we get on the tra- <laughs> tram. There's so many of us, you know, and they're speaking English. And, right. Um, yeah, so I think that's one big aspect is um, you – there's this level of respect shown towards people older than you or people with kids. And even I've noticed this in Grozny a couple of times um, when I've been there for work, how uh, when an, an older lady gets on, immediately a younger lady will get up to make her seat available for her. And mm. then they'll literally like argue about who's going to sit in the seat. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a, like, interesting. You know, it's not like an obnoxious argument. It's yeah. like a, who can show the most grace to the other person, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I've noticed that multiple times. Yeah. I've seen uh, that here. That happened even. even with a lady and a man uh, on a bus the other day. You could tell she was like, I don't, it, it wasn't an offense thing. It was just like, no, 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 I don't need it. And he was insistent. She's like, had to be really in a kind way, like pushy. It's like, no, I'm just, you know, like I want to stand. That's funny. Yeah. So that's one point. Um, I think another that I've noticed is kind of in related to paying. Um, if you're, if you get on with a friend or if you meet a friend in the Caucasus on the tram, mm-hmm. they will often try to pay for you right? or they will pay for you. There's no trying, like right. they won't let you pay. Right. Um, so I, I remember one time a guy I had met one time, he was from Ingushete actually, um, probably a week later, we saw each other on the tram and he was, I mean, on the other side and we saw each other and like acknowledged each other and the ticket collector was near him. And he was like, I saw him pay for me. He was like motioning, pointing at me. And he was like, I'm paying for that guy down there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Interesting. But yeah. Often, um, Caucasus people, like yep. they want to show you the best. They'll pay for you. Right. Um, in Ingushetia, I've been in, uh, Marshutkas where when, the driver found out I was an American, a foreigner, i.e. their guest. Right. He didn't even let me pay. There was no having it, you know? Um, wow. Yeah. So th- I think there's an aspect of that too is like it's a place where you take care of your guest, even on public transport. That just happened to me. I got a haircut at a brand new place, and it, it would be it would have been a, a $45 haircut in the U.S. I got a haircut. I got a wow. beard trim. I got a straight razor shave like around my beard. I got my hair washed. Can I just say, I have never done anything to warrant a $45 haircut. <laughs> oh, you're a hairy guy, Andrew. I'm trying to think like what that would even entail. I'm just saying, and like they had a, it's the kind of place that has an espresso machine and a TV and you sit down and read the paper right. and they treat you yeah. like, you know, and it was about 12 or $13 here. Which wow. for here is really expensive. I can normally get away with a $3 haircut and it's fine, but I want to try this place out and they wouldn't let me pay. Man. I feel like it's your first time and da-da-da. You know, I'm like, guys, this is your business. That's not public transportation, <laughs> but it's just that I kind of been waiting for like the Andrew experience of people not letting me pay. So I'm, I'm, I'm primed and ready. <laughs> <laughs> I promise it happens. I'm not making this up. That's right. Um. Yeah, that's cool. So you talked about uh, the 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 coin collector lady. There's a whole little like set of rules around her. Oh or man. him. Or him. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm seeing actually more men do that now in Pitigorsk. Um yeah. but for sure. So let's talk about 
we'll say the payment collector because in the the marshutkas or the minibuses, uh, the driver collects the money, and on the trams uh, or the trolleys, the there's a ticket collector who walks around who collects the money and gives out tickets. Um, I would say there's mainly rules around what not to do with these people. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, you know, one thing with the, the marshrutkas I've noticed is in, in Petigorsk, when you get on the marshrutka, you pay immediately. Uh, and wherever you, you sit down first and wherever you sit, you'll hand your money up through the other passengers. So you don't driver. have to get up while it's moving and stumble your way forward. No, and um, there there is an unspoken rule here. It's the person who's sitting right behind the driver who's facing the rest of the people. Their job is to be basically the mediator between the driver and everybody else and to figure out the change situation. And, and when you're new and learning your numbers, oh. you learn real fast and do not. Do that not is sit not there. where you want to sit. Because if people you don't, don't speak even Russian. use the numbers. They'll be like, oh, man. they're like, I gave you two little fives. Like that's how it translate. Like yeah, you, whatever. It's like a word you've never heard. Often the driver is like negotiating with you to figure out who gets what amount of change. Like if that person paid with a hundred ruble bill, he'll say, all right, this changes for the person who gave me a hundred. But yeah. if you don't like know how those numbers are conjugated oh, and like man. break down. Yeah. It can be, a, it could be a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> you just, so, you just hold your palms open with a little pile of money in there. Just let people do whatever they want to do with it. It's like here. <laughs> I like, I'll often get on the marshutka that the 22 that comes back to our house from the market. Uh, and I'll often sit there because in that seat, knowing I've got two full bags of food and I want to be able to get straight out. And then I'll forget, oh no, this is the money changer seats. And then people just start <laughs> giving me their money and there's too late. There's no backing out at that point. Oh man. Yeah. Um, so in Pitygorsk, you pay when you get in. I've noticed in Grozny, and I think it's this way in Machikala, yep. you don't pay until you get out. Is that yeah, right? So- that's right. You don't pay until you get out. Another difference. So you, that's one reason they're so fast about it. Like they're doing it as you drive in Pitygorsk and you get your right, change right. back. But this way, um, I think there are a couple, a couple things about that. I think one is that men and women don't touch in Mahachkala and Grozny. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So even at the store, it's very rare that a woman will hand me my change directly. They'll always put it right in the tray. Yep. Or like literally drop it. And that's just an etiquette thing. Um, yeah. And so I think the passing of the money could be a violation of that for some people here. Hmm. Another difference I've noticed, this is a very slight difference, but I think it's significant. In in Pitygorsk, Andrew, if you want to get off at the next stop, at the next Astanovka, what do you simply say? You say Nastanovki at the Nastanovka. next Nastanovka, it's like at the yeah. stop, right? Every time... I've been on public transportation here. People use the entire phrase, please stop at the stop. Really? Yeah, they they say the whole thing. You have to say the whole thing. I have never heard that in the course. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I came and was like, whoa, they're like being so polite. And then everyone was being so polite. And I suddenly blanked on how to conjugate the the verb. Like (laughs) so I was just, I was just like I'm the rude guy and, and got off like it worked. But I think that points that to, guy. I know here you have a much more intense Caucasus, um, 
when uh, a higher context culture versus a okay. low context culture. Higher context huh. means basically etiquette and manners mean a lot more. So between like the U.S. and Britain, Britain would be a high context culture. The U.S. would be just about as low as it gets in some places. Like, it's, right. you know, you say whatever you want, you wear whatever you want, whatever. So here, I think it's a higher context in Pitygorsk. In a sense, like things of honor and outward things are more important. That's just my hunch that it's more important to, yeah. to speak politely. So, but that's, an, that's a difference. Interesting. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's really good insight. Again, like <laughs> you're doing your ethnographer thing. And I mean that in a positive way, like pulling <laughs> there out you these go. cultural <laughs> insights of the mundane we wouldn't see, you know, like right. it really is significant. Right. Um, so very cool. Um, yeah. So, that's kind of some of the questions around. That's one of the things around interacting with the money collectors. Another thing on the tram and with drivers too. Uh, don't you dare give them too big of a bill to break. So and give you whose responsibility with. is change <laughs> in Caucasus culture? It's always the person with the money, the buyer's the client, responsibility. The like, yeah. So they'll often say, um, can you give me the exact amount? Uh, or um, if you give a bill that you would need change for, they'll ask for a couple more coins so they can give you an exact one bill back instead of breaking mm-hmm, it down mm-hmm. more, you know? Um, but yeah, I've, that has been like, you want to see one of those money collectors get flustered, give them a thousand ruble bill. For a, for a 19 it. ruble fare or 21 ruble yes. fare. Yeah, oh, they're man, just I, huff and puff, man. I always now, if I have to do that, I always preface it with, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I don't have any change. <laughs> and I give them the thousand ruble bill. He actually gets on his knees and, and sort of supplicates. It's like, would you please accept my payment? And then if they receive it and start searching for change, I breathe a huge sigh of relief. <laughs> yeah, it can, it can do a lot to... Uh, to soften it if you're if you acknowledge that you're because i think they're thinking like they've got the whole day ahead of them and they've got all you know they've got to negotiate the bills in their little pouch and they they can't get off and go to a bank and get a new roll of hundreds or something yeah it's true (gasps) it's an issue and that applies to almost all uh settings in public in the caucasus when you pay for something you want to give as close to amount as possible uh, that nobody's going to be very happy if you give them too big of a bill they have to break. That's why if um, I go to a big grocery store, I'm just like shoving my big bills at them because they have, there are a couple places that I know. That's like, true. That's a place complain. you can get away with that. Right. They, you know, they do like fill their tills up from direct bank, you know, amounts. Like, like they're, they operate that way. So I can get my small bills that way. This is a part of life, man. You're thinking about it, you know, it's going true, about your man. day. Where am I going to get my small change? Yeah. I, right now we have multiple five thousands oh. and I, yesterday only for rent was at, was at the grocery <laughs> store and that's about for you listening. It's about $80, um, 80 a 5,000 ruble bill, right? Yeah. 5,000 ruble bill. And I was about to pay at the grocery store with my card, which I always do. And I was like, I had this fleeting thought, I should break that 5000 here. And I didn't. I was like, ah, I'll just pay with the bill. And I didn't. And now I'm kicking myself because I don't know where I'm going to break that bill. <laughs> no, man. I only use 5000s for rent. Cool. All right. So um, a couple just... more. 
like I said, oh, scintillating. Man. This is really fun to talk about. This is years and years <laughs> of like <laughs> every now and then collecting we just, these we just experiences. We need to debrief our lives here, okay, people. So another thing <laughs> to never do on public transport: don't you dare open the window. Oh, any window, you will get it from somebody if you do that. And this is, um, I mean, this could be its own episode as well, but basically in uh, the Russian-speaking world, people, a lot of people really strongly believe that a breeze will, will make kill you, you sick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it will do. Either or. It will make you sick. It will strip you of your fertility. It will... So this I, I this is definitely one of those things that frustrates most foreigners to no end, oh, uh, especially Westerners. And a couple of years ago, I just had to make peace with the fact that when I travel on public transport in the summer, I'm going to be soaking wet with sweat. Good for you, Andrew. It takes a big <laughs> man to own up to that. So occasionally, you know, I am surprised occasionally they'll allow one window maybe on the roof or something to be open, but it's rare that. Often, if one person opens it, the other will close it, or they'll yell at the person who opened it, and they'll slam it shut, you know? So I have a question about that, because I have been on trams in the heat of summer where the windows are open, the little top, they're all open. And, or not even the heat of summer, I want to know, like, how do they get opened? Who are the gatekeepers of the window opening, (laughs) you know? Ability. It takes that that brave individual who's like, willing to risk. Maybe the tram driver can open them before people get on, and then they're already open, and you can't like fight with it. I don't know. It, right. It's a, so you yeah, probably drivers, saw Andrew, and we should try uh-huh. and find a link for it. There's a video. I think it's a four minute video from Russia somewhere. It's someone just on their smartphone on a bus. And there are two people. There's an w- old woman sitting at a seat, and there's a man standing behind her. And he opens the window. Yes. And she reaches up and shuts it. Yep. Sliding it bu- closed. <laughs> I think you might have sent this to me. He opens it. They never look at each other. They never interact. She reaches up and shuts it. And they go back and forth without ever saying a word, <sighs> opening and shutting that window. And it sometimes like it's like, open, minutes, shut, right? open, shut. And then it'll be like, open. Oh man! Shut. Open, shut, and like it's just—it's amazing. I mean, and they go on and on. It's oh, we have to find. I'm, we're going to put a link in. It's Please unreal. do that. Yeah, it's not staged. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like—I've definitely been yelled at before for opening a window in totally. public transport, um, and that I, I feel like those standards have relaxed a little bit from what they used to be. Um, I have one more story about this. It's not from Russia, but it's the same uh-huh. mindset. It's from a friend of mine who lived in Eastern Europe. Uh-huh. And he had he has four kids and he has a big uh he had a big Volkswagen like van thing and the back windows didn't vent, you know? So it was just like a big hot box cuz there was no through current. And he, after a few years he finally went to the trouble to go to a car guy that was recommended and um gets like windows that pop open, put in the back. And he knew for a fact that this guy cheats on his taxes and, you know, would like (laughs) totally bilk the government and, you know, certain things that would be considered kind of dishonest. And he was sort of, you know, making it, finding it, whatever. 
That was how he rolled. And so he went and talked about it, told the guy the car, got it all arranged. And when he drove there, he absolutely left one of his kid's car seats in the car. Uh-huh. And he pulls in, and the guy's like, okay, look at the car. And he opens the door, he sees the car seat, and he rises up and pulls back with this, you know, righteous indignation. <laughs> and just looks at my friend, he's like, you have children. I'm not putting those windows in. <laughs> because it would cause breeze to blow on the children. Yeah, and he walked wow. away from the job. He wouldn't do it. Wow. I mean, <laughs> it's like, that's the mindset we're talking about. Yeah, and I mean, we taxi drivers always ask us um, if their door window would just be cracked, you know, two inches. Yeah, yeah. They'll say, hey, is this making your kids cold? Do you need me to close right. it? They're always, like, respectful about that. And that is the thing we should underline with this. Is like, it's like, a, it's a, the outward thing is funny or annoying or whatever, but the underlying thing is we have a belief about what's safe and good, and we're really serious about it. Like, we want your kids to be healthy. You know, it's a care for kids and elderly and women and children and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And I think as I like reflect on all of this, as far as like, you know, not being too loud or obnoxious on public transport there in general is just a respect for the common space that, um, people adhere to, you know, I like that. um, yeah, do your best to like, make sure everybody around you is comfortable. Um, and then, of course, you know, in the West, we're all about self-expression and individualism. You know, that is definitely here, too. It's just in more private settings in people's homes, you know, uh, where people feel more free to, yeah, say what they want or do what they want. But in mm-hmm. public spaces, there's much more of kind of decorum and, yeah. like you said, unspoken rules. Right. Um, Great yeah. topic, Andrew. Hey, do it every day. Who'd have thunk <laughs> every day, man? Well, we got more where this comes from. Uh, like I said, uh, more hair raising and tantalizing topics uh, <laughs> from everyday life that we'll we'll do at least one more, I think, um, and that's going to bring us to the just about to the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, man, good stuff. Uh, it's it's cool comparing your part of the Caucasus with our part of the Caucasus. Yeah, it's, it, you see really a lot of people. That. Yeah, a lot of people think of the region as one whole, but it really is lots of pieces with lots awesome. of differences. Um, so, awesome. Well, uh, I bet there are some listeners out there who could share some stories, uh, public transport stories in the Caucasus or in Russia. If that's you, we would love to hear from you. Um, write us on our way. Facebook page. Um, email us, podcast at caucustalk.com. Um, Eli and I already have our separate, our own separate business websites and Instagrams. So we have like so many ways you can contact us now. We are everywhere. Don't forget (laughs) to check out our Patreon, our inspiring Patreon video that once you watch, you'll just say, why haven't I been a Patreon supporter yet Uh, to help carry us forward into 2020 and onward. We would love your support. Check it out. Patreon.com slash Caucus Talk. Again, this is Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus, mountains of Russia. Thanks for listening. See you when you get here.